You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Today's first scripture reading is from Isaiah 57, 15, and it can be found on page 654 at the Bible at your seat. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who has a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. And the second reading is from Matthew 5, verses 2 through 3, and that's on page 858 of the Bible that's at your seat. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rob. Yes, it is good to see the kids. That's, I was about to say it's good to see the kids leave. Um, don't mean that. It's, uh, it's good to see so many kids. How about that? Uh, we were reflecting this week and remembering that there was a time when uh, the only few children we had, Dominic, you remember, were related to you, which meant there was like one or two of them, and then, and then the rows came, and there were a few row kids, and then it just started to grow from there, and it was just um, it's a blessing to see, and the Hex could say, hey, it's good to see all these kids, because Aubrey's gone, and she asked you, so Aubrey's not the only one anymore, so... Um, it is good, and it is spring break, beginning of spring break, which means a lot of people travel. It is also uh, daylight savings times, which means a lot of people are uh, <clears throat> sleeping um, or getting a late start, but it also means that we have some of you that have come back, and I know I see Hank over here. Is Mac, Mac over there? Mac's there. They're away at college, and they're here, so glad to see you guys, um, and uh, anybody else that I maybe am missing that's home uh, for the week of spring break. I'm glad you're here. We are starting this series where we're looking at, and we'll get into this in just a second, the Beatitudes, and today this, this story, this message, this invitation to embrace what it means to be poor in spirit is a hard one. Um, my rhythms all week have been sort of disrupted by this and that, and, and so I even entered this morning not having a clue really how this was going to come across. I just know that we have this word from the Savior that's coming to us that we need to understand. And so I want to present to you, there are several resources that um, have helped me um, in my poverty of spirit, my, my life of repentance in the Lord, and just to keep me humble before the Lord. There's a bunch of them, um, and, and one of them is just any sermon or any writing by Jonathan Edwards, I'll refer to him maybe in a minute, uh, I've just come to love, and it's helped me to read those sermons, um, sermons from Sproul and um, Spurgeon and, you know, those. But as far as books go, um, there is a, a resource that I was introduced to decades ago called The Life and Diary of David Brainerd, a missionary uh, to the uh, northeastern New York area Native Americans, and basically it's his journal. And when I read through his journal, and I was, I pulled it off the shelf this week and was rereading it, um, it just 
I just read a man who knows what it means to be contrite before the Lord. And it's pure and it's good. It's a great read. If you ever want to uh, know how to journal, uh, don't think that you can journal like David Brainerd. Um, you have to know your Lord to journal like this. So know God first and then begin journaling. And um, this is a good resource. Um, another resource that helps me almost daily is uh, a little book like this called The Valley of Vision. And uh, this is a, ga uh, a collection of prayers from saints and pastors and preachers from throughout for a long, long time. And I will, uh, I don't do, um, uh, I never do Bible roulette, you know, where you just kind of, okay, here's where I'm going to read. But I do that sometimes with this book when it comes to wanting to pray or, or in my quiet time. And um, there's, there's just, this has been a very help for me to, to remember the joy and the pleasure of being humble before the Lord. Um, and that's where we're going today. And since this is a, a hard thing for us um, as Americans, as Texans, come on, let's be honest. Uh, let's go to the Lord again and let's ask him for his help. Lord, we need you. I need you right now to teach us and to show us the beauty and the joy of being poor in spirit. Help us to understand what it means. Help us to launch into the Sermon of the Mount rightly and humbly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A few things before we get into the Sermon of the Mount. Just some things I want to make sure we understand. Some introductory explanations of really the first 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. What we will see here in the structure is doctrine comes first and the deductions from that doctrine come next. This is the way Jesus preaches. This is the way he teaches. That basically he's saying, here is what you are to believe. And then once believing these things, then this will come to your life. Doctrine first. Deductions from that doctrine come later. Here's what we believe. Here's what that benefits our life after that, this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, was given to Jesus' followers. It says what we see here in verse 1 of chapter 5 is that he went up on the hill and his disciples came to him. He actually sat down, which meant this might blow your idea of what the Sermon on the Mount is. wasn't thousands and thousands of people hearing this at the time. This was a gathering of his followers. Basically, he is saying through the Sermon on the Mount, this is how I want you to follow the king. This is how you follow me. This is what my kingdom of God is like. This sermon is for his followers. And he begins this sermon with what we've come to, known, come to be known as the Beatitudes. Y'all heard that before, right? The Beatitudes, okay. Um, what are the Beatitudes? These are reminders. These Beatitudes are reminders of how Christians ought to live. These Beatitudes are for all Christians, not for some Christians, not just for the Christians who attend perfectly in church, not just for the Christians who volunteer for children's ministry. No, this is for all Christians. All of those that are in the kingdom of God is, is the calling to be like this. The Beatitudes are for all of those in the kingdom of God, and they are to manifest all of these 
Not only is it for all those in the kingdom of God, it is for all those in the kingdom of God to manifest all of these attitudes, these characteristics. We are not supposed to pick and choose which one we favor or like better than the others, right? I mean, Jesus is saying this, and this is for all of his followers to obey all of these. None of these beatitudes are to be considered as natural. Or culturally popular. You will see when we get into these that none of these are attitudes or characteristics that are celebrated in popular culture today. Most of them are mocked and laughed at. But this is the kingdom of Christ. This is the king we're following. Essentially, Jesus is saying, I will tell you how to live and this will be the difference between following the king of kings and following the popular culture. That's why we have this series and we're calling it Follow the King. Jesus says here, and he begins it in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed. What does that mean? Well, you know what comes to blood. I don't want to kill a word that is precious, but we need to understand what Jesus is saying is every action has a consequence. Everything we choose to do, we choose to do because we want the blessing of what we choose to do and what it will bring to us. If I chose to eat a large pizza all by myself, I've done that before, more than one occasion, usually when my family's traveling somewhere and it's just me, large pizza, it hasn't happened in years, I promise. But if I choose to do that, I'm doing that for the blessing of every delicious bite of that pizza. I'm choosing it because I want to be blessed by the taste, by the feeling. I'm not thinking about the blessing an hour after I eat it. I'm thinking about the immediate blessing right here. However, if I choose to run two miles to eat fruit instead, I'm not thinking of the immediate blessing on mile number one. I'm doing it because I believe in the better blessing that's to come if I choose to do that versus this. When Jesus says blessed, he's revealing that there's pleasure that is promised to you. There is happiness that is going to come to you when you follow the king. Some translations of the Beatitudes actually says happy are those who do this happy are those who do that blessed choose to be blessed by the king and the king's blessings come when you are first of all poor in spirit each of these beatitudes comes with this promise be this and receive this Be this and receive this. Remember, this is the king of kings making these declarations. Nothing can keep this king from fulfilling his promise to the poor in spirit. Nothing can keep this king from giving the blessings that he's promising to give. They are a description of his kingdom. So, with all that in mind, that brings us to this Verse 3, this first, this beginning of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
First, I want us to look at what to be poor in the Spirit does not mean. Think, what does it mean to be poor in the Spirit? How do we break this down? How do we apply this? Well, let's look at what, it, what, what he does not mean is those who lack courage. If you've been to our men's breakfast, you know that God calls us to be men and women of courage. No, it's not saying be lacking courage. It's not saying be nervous and anxious and worried all the time. It's not even saying that blessed are those who are um, or outwardly showing self-pity like Eeyore, you know, and Winnie the Pooh. Oh, poor me, poor me. I'm just so broken and things are so bad. That's not what he's saying here. This is where many of the monastics had it wrong. Self-mutilating their body and, and isolating themselves uh, and, and sort of giving this display of how broken they are is not necessarily what he's saying. They, they're they're kind of on to something, but that's not exactly what he's calling to. It's poor in the spirit. I mean, just to get this out of the way, I, I think you would know this. It's not about money. A lot of preachers are saying about money poverty whether it's voluntary or not does not equal holiness ever i know some very holy wealthy people and i know some very holy poor people it's not about what's in your bank account so what does it really mean to be poor in spirit here's one definition that's kind of big and wordy and we'll break it down to be poor in the spirit is the virtue of genuine, honest humility and the awareness of spiritual bankruptcy. Think about that. The virtue of honest humility, the virtue of genuine, honest humility and the awareness of spiritual bankruptcy. Now, in a room this size, this day and age, it would not surprise me if there are several in this room that understand financial bankruptcy. Financial bankruptcy is when you come to the point in your life where the debt is out of control and you realize that there's nothing you can do. Everything that you are striving for, everything you do, if you worked as much as you can, you come to the realization that I am. this is out of control, this is beyond me, and so the only way to make this part of the scale right the only way that this can be fixed is for me to declare financial bankruptcy. It doesn't mean that everything's wiped clean, but it means that you're helped and there's some debts that maybe you don't have to pay. But it also means that you don't have credit. To declare that you are financially bankrupt means, yes, this is helped over here, but also over here it means I can't have any credit when I want to, I mean, there's this sort of balance, this tension of this is better, but also I can't take credit for this being better. Make sense? Spiritual bankruptcy is the same thing. I'm overwhelmed with how indebted to Christ, how indebted to God I am. For the wages of sin is death. And I have acquired a lot of wages of my sin. And I can't handle it on my own. And so I need someone to wipe it clean. I need to declare spiritual bankruptcy so that I can have help. I can have the one who's, who I owe to wipe it clean. Well, when that scale is coming to balance, that means over here, I cannot take the credit for something he has done. 
I'm always indebted to my king. No credit goes to me. It is the recognition that there is no spiritual life, none, no growth, no joy, no relationship with God, no freedom on my own. It is the understanding that on our own, if we're left to ourselves, we will not be meek. We will never hunger for God. We will not be merciful. We will not know what purity is. There is no peacemaking in our life. We will never be lights in the dark world if left to ourselves. It is the reality. It is the confession of our spiritual depravity and our awareness of our own sin to the point that we say we are rich in sin and we are poor in godliness. That makes sense? To be spiritual bankrupt is to say the only thing I'm really wealthy in are the things that separate me from God. To be poor in spirit is to confess that and to say, oh, I need a Savior. It's not about coming face-to-face with others and comparing ourselves to other people and maybe feeling less than or better than other people because still we're doing the scale then. If we're looking at your spiritual bankruptcy or compared to my spiritual bankruptcy, then I can be like, okay, I'm better than this person. Whoa, I don't want to read about that person. I don't want to know that person. Oh, I don't want to be in the small group with this person, but oh, that part. Let me go this group because I feel better about myself in this group. No, no, no. It is about facing God. And knowing that we do not stand a chance of deserving another breath unless God provides us the grace to have it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the bankrupt in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to realize that God is all and we are nothing without Him. This is how Jesus begins His sermon. Uh, Jesus, you're supposed to begin with a story and an introduction. You know, something lied about the day. Like, hey, did you hear about the Paulette? No, I mean, no, you don't begin that way. You begin and you launch all of the Sermon on the Mount with blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, the picture of that is Moses before the burning bush. It's Isaiah in the temple in Isaiah chapter 6. It is Saul on the road to Damascus. It's John on the island of Patmos. It's Jason Goins in his dorm room broken for his sin. It's us when we are alone and no one's looking. And we know what kind of sinful treat that we would rather have pleasure in than being with the Lord. The opposite of being poor in spirit, as you can guess, is both subtle and obvious. At the same time, it's arrogance, it's pride, it's spiritual self-esteem. It's looking at passages of Scripture that says, I can do all things in Christ, and focusing on the, I can do all things. Not in, in Christ who gives me strength. 
That's a self-esteem, a self-promotion, a pride of look what I've done, look what I chose, look who I'm following. You see this sometimes creep up in the disciples in their conversations. Who can be the greatest and who's closest to Jesus? This gamesmanship with our faith. There are attitudes in our culture that are celebrated and promoted all the time. In our kingdom that we try to build, we act like kings. Or we try to promote the kings that we want to follow. We see this all the time. We see their ideas, their ways that are, that are better than everybody else's ways. And we say, yes, that's the king we want to follow. That's the one we want to give our time to. And Jesus is saying, no, strive to be like Jesus the king, Christ the king. In my kingdom, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying if you live basically with arrogance, pride, and spiritual or religious self-esteem, yes, it might make you popular here, but you'll miss my kingdom altogether. My kingdom is reserved for those who are poor in spirit. So again, what is Jesus saying about all this? Jesus is saying that the culture of my kingdom is the one is a culture that's filled with people who are brokenhearted, who are contrite, who know that they're needy, who are desperate for holiness and healing and the presence of God. It's filled with people who are saying, I'm not okay. I need saving. I need the precious, the precious love and the mercy of God. So, Jesus' kingdom... Jesus is calling us to be poor in spirit. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, blessed are the poor in spirit. There are, we live in a culture that opposes this. We live in a culture who, who practices and promotes a different kind of kingdom. So I want to spend just a, a brief little time reminding you the opposition to this kingdom. We're surrounded and engulfed by a culture that wants to prevent us being poor in the Spirit. So, so what opposes us being poor in the Spirit? First of all, a culture of pray, personal praise and admiration. On a personal note, you know one of the things that hurts children is false praise from mom and dad and teacher and coach. You know? My mom's here. I love her. But one of the hardest things sometimes for my poverty in the spirit is to go to my mom and say, you know what? I'm really feeling this. Oh, no, no, son. You're okay. <laughs> She's loving me, right? But sometimes when we get false praise from people, it can inflate us. And, and, and here's the thing. Moms and dads should be the lead encouragers. They should be the affirmers. They should help us and promote us. But... Oh, we can get addicted to it. Or anybody that criticizes us. We say, no, no, no. I'm not supposed to hear that. We live in a culture of personal praise and admiration. And this is done in the church like crazy. This is the culture of the celebrity church and the celebrity pastor. Church leaders are the worst, aren't they? I didn't hear an amen, so I guess that's good. <laughs> church leaders, under disguise of, hey, I want to invite you to what we're doing at the church, they exalt their hard work. They promote, 
their creativity or their fancy book learning. Look what all I know. Or look what all I can say to you. Look how boldly we're preaching or singing. They promote their agenda, their leadership. Look how we're different than every other church. I have a hard time promoting grace when I first moved here for years even to this day people would say we're not doing enough to promote our church we're not doing enough to promote our church and I'm going to be real honest and real with you for the first couple years I didn't want to promote our church one I didn't know what to promote what do I say hey come we're broken we're working on it I'll be right there I don't want to be fake, and I don't want you to go out there and be fake about the church. Don't ever go into the community, engage others, and say, you need to come hear this pastor. Oh, don't do that to me. God will remove me if you worship me. No, we want to be a congregation that praises the grace and the work of the Lord. I do not believe in the popular saying from a famous leader that he would say for decades and decades at every conference that he did that everything rises and falls on leadership. No, it does not. Everything rises and falls on God's divine will and glory, and often he will use leaders. But if a leader is full of himself, he will remove that leader to get his job done. A culture of personal praise, a culture of self-admiration. Look what we're doing for the Lord is not a part of the kingdom of God. Leadership is important, but all throughout Scripture we see the power and the wisdom of God work despite the weaknesses of the leaders and the frailty of the leaders. When God wants to do something, He'll do it. He'll even speak through a donkey. I love that the Pharisees and the leaders would say of the disciples, these are unschooled, ordinary men. How is this happening? Welcome to grace. That's what I want. I want people to be amazed that God can do something in grace on this side of the freeway, not because we're different or created, because, no, He's God, and we're just people coming with broken spirits saying, we need Him, we need Him, we need Him. The opposition to poverty and spirit is a culture of personal praise and self-admiration. Another one is a culture of tolerance. Now, bear with me here. This is sort of the Oprah culture. That says, I'm okay, you're okay, don't worry, you're not that bad. We're just going to tolerate how you are, who, you're this, you're that. It's okay, just bring the ugly and, and you're okay. Instead of dealing with the ugly, they call the ugly beautiful. This is jumping right over the sin. This is seeing, okay, yeah, there's some dysfunction here, but you know what? It's okay. We're not going to deal with it. Because that means you'd have to, like, be... Poor in the Spirit. What comes to your mind whenever you hear the phrase, hell, fire, and brimstone sermon? 
honestly, what comes to your mind is, ooh, I'd never go to that church. How come what doesn't come to our mind is, hell's real? And perhaps somebody that may be accused of being hellfire or brimstone, instead of just being upset about the tone, maybe we need to hear the warning. And maybe we need to deal with our sin. This is the culture that instead of seeing the loving plea to come and lo- come low and bow to the king and ask forgiveness, this is the culture here, this tolerant culture that says God would never, never, never want you to come and be that sad. I got news for you. What Jesus is saying throughout this scripture, and what we're going to see throughout this Sermon on the Mount is you are not okay. You need to understand it's okay to come to Jesus not okay. Does that make sense? Okay? Get it? It's okay to come to Jesus not okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay with Jesus. We come to him because we need him. We come to him because we know we're not okay. We come to him so that he could say, okay, I know that you're not okay. That's okay. I'm okay, and I'm going to fix this. long time ago in uh, my English class in high school as part of literature we read Jonathan Edwards Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God anybody read that one okay you want to pick that up on a Saturday morning one day we read it and the teacher asked us to be critical in the tone and the language and to listen to the imagery that people can do as artistry in their writings. I read it, and I said, I don't know this Jonathan Edwards, but I want to read everything he writes. There was something that happened in my English class that I went to my accountability group later. We'll get to that in just a second. And I said, Am I dangling like a spider over fire and I'm just held by the hand of God and all he's got to do is let go? That's the language. And the tolerant culture would never, ever warn like that. And Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand what sin is and they're broken by it. Tolerant culture says, don't don't be broken by your sin, just be sinning. A third opposition to this um, culture and this kingdom of being poor in the Spirit is the culture of self-reliance. This makes sense, right? One of the most dangerous attitudes that I have seen happen in my life is years when I think too highly of myself. I get comfortable, I get in a routine, and what I shared with the prayer team back there a while ago was I felt like this whole week my rhythm was disrupted in every way. And it wasn't until we were singing I realized there's a reason why my rhythm was disrupted. So I can rely on the Lord, not my own rhythm and strength and disciplines, but on His grace. We've got to move forward. I know I'm, I'm running behind. This culture of self-reliance says, I can do this. The culture of being poor in the Spirit says, I can't do it unless God helps me do it. 
The fourth opposition to this poor in the spirit is a culture of entertainment. Oh, my word. One of the most difficult things we deal with in, is to have private time of solitude. Why? Because we're uncomfortable with what we'll find there. When we are left with ourselves, oh, how the enemy wants to either beat us down or make us think that we're not so good. And really what the enemy does with me is he tries to give me an escape away from God. (laughs) Oh, don't you need to reply to that email? Oh, don't you need to turn on this TV and watch this instead? Don't you just need to kind of go to bed being happy instead of being mourning your sin? Watch this. Go see that. Don't be alone ever. Get with people. Fill your time with activity to the point that you never have to deal with how bad you are apart from Christ. Scripture is full of hard sayings, and many times we are instructed to moan and to well and to weep over our sin. We are told to be contrite in heart. We're told to, to get alone with the Lord, to bow down before Him. And we have a culture that surrounds us that says, be entertained. What's worse, we have churches who work all week just to entertain their people. So that instead of coming in and being still and bowing and hearing the words sung, we would rather be active and busy or have smoke coming out of the stage or lights flashing all over the place or have some pastor that's just doing funny skits up here but jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit so it is our desire every week to lead you to encounter god is it more comfortable to do the other yeah and those churches are growing leaps and bounds with people we're interested in the kingdom of god And so our prayer literally is every week, oh God, would you help us to encounter you? Would you reveal what everything I just prayed at the beginning of the service is what we pray all week for this time. Another opposition to this kingdom of God, this poor spirit is a culture of of a must-have, we must-have community culture. Does that make sense? Like like it's it's a, a, I have to get in a group. You're like, wait a minute, Jason, don't you tell us every week to get in community? Yes, I do. Accountability is needed. Community is good for our growth. However, we can so easily come to rely on communal conversations and accountability checklists that we ignore the private encounters with God that we must have. Some of you need to quit doing community for a season and I don't mean go check out and go to an island and be all by yourself what I mean is you need to start valuing private prayer alone time with the Lord the way Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it is poor in the spirit does not come by looking at men and confronting one another but instead looking and coming face to face with God Sometimes we can hide or disguise our need to be alone with God or we could mask it by running away, not, maybe not to a TV or to a movie, but running to other people instead. 
Let me give you an example. One time in college, um, back when I was in college, the early 90s, accountability groups were the thing. Like, if you weren't in an accountability group, then you weren't really walking with Jesus. Like, you just weren't. You could share Christ 100 times a day, but if you weren't in an accountability group where you're being asked hard questions, then you weren't really walking with the Lord. Okay, anybody ever face that? No, just me. Okay. Um, Anyway, so I found this happening in my life a lot, and I had one accountability group. We had our list of eight questions, and every, every Wednesday we would get together, and we'd ask these hard questions, questions like, when you were out on, with your girlfriend, did you lust at all? Did you think of her in any impure way? I mean, these were, what, why, am I not, why am I dating? If I, anyway, anyway, so we asked these questions like, did you read the Bible? Did you memorize the Scripture? Did you, like, all these things. And what I found was happening in my life after two semesters of that, I couldn't wait to get back to school to be with my accountability group so I can tell people about my accountability group. Which really what I was doing was telling people, look at what I'm doing to grow and to be this spiritual giant on campus. This is semester three of my accountability group. It morphed into a group later in my last couple years of college called The Brotherhood. Now, this was pure. This was, I'd repented of the old way of doing accountability, came to accountability, came to these guys on Saturday nights, we'd come together and we would literally worship the Lord, get on our face, bow before him, pray and help one another. It was kind of hard on ourselves at times, but it became the sweet thing. And then it just kind of grew and more guys came and more guys came. I graduated and it became this big worship event that eventually just became another thing to do. And really our pursuit of the brotherhood at the very beginning was we just want to be holy men. And it just grew into this bigger thing. My point here is sometimes a culture of we must be in community can distract us from being alone with the Lord in stillness and quietness. This also can easily turn into my group is better than your group, but we won't get into that. So how do we become poor in the Spirit? I mean, if we see all these enemies, what is it we're supposed to be doing? I mean, how are we to be poor in the Spirit? How do we apply what Jesus is telling us to do? A few things here. Number one, quit fooling yourself. We just need to quit fooling ourselves. You are needier than you realize. That's, what, that's the beauty of what Jesus is saying there. Have you admitted this slightly to God? If the answer to that is no, and you just sang that song that we sang right before I got up here, then there's a disconnect with what you sing and what you feel. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Don't fool yourselves. We need the Lord. There might be some in here today that have never said that to God, that you need him. Secondly, not only quit fooling ourselves, we need to be still before God. Oh, how we need our quiet times before the Lord. I know I've already said this. I know I've already referred to this. But Psalm 46, verse 10 through 11 says, this isn't an ask. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. Be still. 
Be still and know and recognize the Lord. It's where that valley of vision, it's where the Word of God and private time with Him helps me. Which leads to the third thing. How do you be poor in the Spirit? Get closer to God. Know your God. The way I grow in my poverty in the Spirit is to realize how grand and great and majestic and full and holy and perfect and amazing and beautiful is the supremacy and the worth and the greatness of God. Nobody comes up to the Grand Canyon and says, wow, I'm pretty, I'm pretty big person. No, next to the Grand Canyon, you feel small, and next to God, you feel small, and you realize this is beautiful, this is precious, I am undone. And this is the scripture that Rob read in Isaiah 57, verse 15. I love this. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. This is God saying... This is the one who's high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him. Oh, wait, wait, this is good news, right? The high and holy one, the untouchable one, the unapproachable one deals in a high and holy removed place and he dwells with Someone else. Who is this someone else? I want to be that person. And also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly. He does not revive the arrogant and the proud. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite Know your God. The more and more you know your God, the more and more you're going to understand the bankruptcy of your soul without Him. Lastly, how do we be poor in spirit? Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. You know the gospel, right? The gospel is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We have a lot of wages of sin. We can't remove it on our own. But the free gift of Christ has come. And for those who are His, He has given the right to become children of God. Why? Because He has forgiven the sin. He took the payment of the sin on the cross. Because He so loved the world. He so loved you that he took that sin so that you could have eternal life. The gospel summed up for me, and if you ever want to say, how can I preach all of that to myself every day? Just do what I do sometimes where I simply say, I can't, but you did. Do you ever preach that to yourself? I can't. I can't overcome this, God. Oh, but you did. I can't do this but you did. I can't fix my marriage, but you did everything it takes to heal everybody in my family. I can't do this, but you did. Preach the gospel to yourself. In this beatitude, he opened his mouth, he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the doctrine. For theirs is the kingdom 
of heaven. The promise of the kingdom of heaven. This first beatitude is the key to all of the ones that follow this. There is no one in the kingdom of God who is not first poor in the spirit. There is no one in the kingdom of God who is not first contrite before the Lord. Martin Lone joins in his commentary on this, says it is the fundamental characteristic of the Christian and of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and all other characteristics are in the sense a result of this one, to be poor in the spirit. The first beatitude means to be spiritually empty, spiritually bankrupt, whereas all the other beatitudes that come describe a type of manifestation of fullness. We cannot be filled unless we're first emptied. There are two sides to the gospel. There is a pulling down. This is who you are. And there is a raising up. This is what I've come to do. There's a part of the gospel that convicts us, and there's a part of the gospel that converts us. The gospel of Christ condemns before it frees. This is what it means to be blessed in the poor of the Spirit and come to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of our culture says, blessed are those with money. Blessed are those who rise to the top. Blessed are those who always are in play. Blessed are those who are seen and when seen, they look the part. The kingdom of our culture says the humble and the poor and the broken need to go hide themselves and get out of the way. And the king says of his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is for those who are still before the Lord, who are honest with who they are before the Lord, who will confess their ugly sins before God, and who trust Jesus as the one who can please and satisfy and fill them. Keynote of the culture says, short-term fame is worth it. Instant gratification is worth it. It promises fleeting joy, and it promises popularity with a bunch of known followers and likes. But the kingdom of heaven promises heaven. Revival, awakening, fullness, eternal joy, freedom from pain, from destruction, from loneliness, and peace to those who realize that they could never fit in to this kingdom without Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who follow the King. Blessed are those who come to Him in the reality if it's not about me, it's all about you. Would you take all of my debt and would you get all of the credit? I come to you, Father, spiritually bankrupt, and I will keep myself, or you will keep me in your kingdom with great joy and abundance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we um, confess this morning that we are often tempted, I am often tempted every day to have a sort of pride and arrogance. It goes against our culture to humble ourselves and, and to come before you and be still. But Lord, I pray 
that we would see the beautiful invitation to follow the King through brokenness, through admitting that we're not okay, but coming to you, Lord, and saying, would you make us well? Would you make us whole? Lord, I pray that you would show us when we hide in a crowd, when we run to a crowd instead of just being still before you, would you show us when we, when we run to entertainment instead of being still before you? And would you show us the pleasure and the joy that comes when we are poor in spirit? And oh Lord, would we hope in the promises of the kingdom of God? Thank you.